Skin hair and skin, if we're behind then never mind, we'll fight and fight and win for we're from Tigerland. We never G'day everybody, welcome to episode 4 of Tiger Tragics. The name of the podcast has never been more appropriate. I think we've all ridden the emotional roller coaster a fair bit in the last few days. It's been about three three days since that the latest moment. We've been the butt of everyone's jokes for the last three days of their whereabouts, but we're, we've got it together. We're going to talk about it all. We're going to get emotional. We're going to get angry, I think, at some points, but we're going to still talk about the love we have for this football club despite everything we have to go through. I'm Mitchell Scott. I say hello to Carl Bianco. Hello, Carl. G'day, Mitchell. It's uh, it's hard to describe how I feel after the past three weeks. Well, let's talk about it. We're getting to... Tony Shebeki will join us in just a moment, but uh, the 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 roller coaster that is being a Richmond supporter, for those who, who aren't aware, we, we managed to drop another one. <laughs> We've managed to, uh, to, to lose from a winning position yep. when we didn't think we could. Uh, there was some umpire involvement, but I'm not putting it down to that. We were fought. We had a 32 point lead at one point. We basically held out a, a, a you know a four five goal lead for most of the game. Mm. Last quarter capitulation again, uh, topped off by um, a poor setup at, at, at a defensive uh, stoppage for, for, with a minute and 18 to go. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Yep. But I just want to be and when we introduce Trebex as well, I want to get the into the emotion of what everyone was feeling on Saturday because. It was one thing for what happened with the Fremantle loss the week before. I think we all sort of, we acknowledged that, yes, it was typically Richmond in the Richmond stereotype, but um, it was a case of we didn't deserve to win that game in the first place. Mm. We played one quarter of good footy and so be it, and we were going to bounce back. What were you feeling at 10 past seven on Saturday night, Carl? How can you describe the feeling? This is the third week in a row we've lost by a kick, and we've basically choked when it matters most right at the crucial point of the fourth quarter, last quarter, the quarter that matters most, we've managed to choke again. How how does that happen? What are the AFL trying to do to us? Is, <laughs> are, they, are they trying to torment our season like no other, other season or even out the competition? I don't know. Look, I, no, I'm not going to blame the AFL for what happened. But that review of Bolton's goal, you know, he's just – kicked what he thinks is his first goal in AFL football, probably the best thing he's done all day, literally at the crucial point of the game, and we think we've gone nine points up. Sucked the romance or eight points it, up. It, it really did. I couldn't believe it. I was like, all right, that's it. We're, we've won. We've yep. won. That's it. Because it's going to be difficult with a minute to go for GWS to kick two goals. Did your heart rate sort of come down a little bit at that point? I know that for that, for that, that last quarter, with each... With each goal that was then kicked by GWS, the mm. text messages start coming, the yep. heart rate goes up, the sweat starts going, that pit in your stomach of, oh, we're not going to lose another one, are yeah, we? comes yep. through. And which we all, I think we all sort of had that feeling at three-quarter mm. time of we're not safe. We are not safe here in the slightest. And then sure enough, we get to that moment, yep. Shy Bolton kicks the goal, and I remember I, I just started running around punching the air going, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Like I was, I was, I, I was out of my mind. Yep. And then... For the typical Richmond experience, we had the moment of elation being the moment of Shy Bolton kicks that goal to then the sudden downfall and moment of misery, despair, anguish, uh, where, the yes, the, the kick was overturned. 
Um, and Richmond weren't set up for it. And within 20 seconds later, GWS was just streaming forward like a flying V in the mighty ducks, the five of them, uh, as Jeremy Cameron kicked the goal from 50 out. And we were uh, in a spot of bother suddenly down by three points again. And within that moment, the text messages with four word, with four letter words start coming through. You feel nauseous. Mm. I had to text my, text my fiance because she was out to say, hey, look, don't come home for the moment. I need some time to myself to yep. gather my thoughts. Yep. Um, and then the sad thing of it all is we've become the laughing stock of the competition as a result of this. Of playing good football for the most part, but just shooting ourselves in the foot when it actually counts. Mm. Um, we're getting, we're, you know, we're playing well, but just not getting the reward. Yep. And the sad thing is it all, as, as us as supporters, we cannot trust our own football club with a lead. Mm. I know. Yeah, it's, it's real sad, to be honest. But you know what's even sadder? What's that? Collingwood supporters calling up and laughing <laughs> that we're losing. I mean... Let's just wait a second here, Collingwood. You guys can laugh at us, right? You, All your supporters can laugh at us. But look at where you are right now, all right? Look at where you are right now and do not complain and laugh or take the piss out of Richmond because you're in a worse position. I don't even really care that you won last weekend, to be honest. You can't call up SEN, speak to Finey or whoever on SEN and say... Oh, Richmond are a laughing stock when your club is in a worse position than what we are well, right we're now. We're five and four. We're five and four, and we're still in the eight for crying out loud. Collingwood are not in the eight, right? They are outside the eight, and I think they only just recorded their third win of the season last week, if I'm not mistaken. I, yeah, I yeah. must say, I felt better. At, I, was, I was feeling good at quarter time in that game, actually, because... Uh, you know, Richmond yeah. was Richmond oh, yeah. was Rich, Richmond was going to be the story, and yeah. then and then suddenly Collingwood's getting belted, and you could see the the cameras during the broadcast of that game. You know, they were going to Joffa and all the cra- angry crowd yeah. and Eddie and Bucks and all that sort of stuff, and they were building the narrative of, you know, it's going to be Collingwood the big story of the week, and then uh, you know they managed to turn it around. And I I did tweet at the time actually that I was you know very satisfied, feeling better at the drinking the tears of Collingwood supporters. Mm. Uh, they all had their last laugh uh, when it came back against me, and uh, and sure enough, Richmond's been the laughing stock. For the last three days, yeah, um, it hurts. Mm. I think all Richmond memberships should come with health insurance. Yep, I think Agreed. we all need it. Yep, I think we go through what is called Richmonditis mm. far too much. We mm. ride this emotional wave. Mm. It hurts. Yep, I'm pretty angry, Carl. I think we're all pretty angry. I think we've had enough after the last three weeks. One week going down to the dogs was enough. But we're fanning them sick and tired of being the laughing stock of this bloody foot of this bloody AFL football league. Yep. Um, the fact that we cannot trust this team to perform for four quarters, we've had a gutful, we're sick of it, we want to see some some improvement, we want to see them play for longer, Yep. and I just, if it's bad enough for us mentally as supporters sitting yep. here cheering the team, and don't get us wrong, we love this football club and we will be there every week cheering them on. Yeah, of course. But they make us earn it every week. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I just wonder that if, if it hurts us enough, if it hurts us enough that we're going through this... And we can't deal with it. How do the players deal with this? Where the psychology is, the, we, us as supporters cannot trust our football club. Surely the, the, all the chatter outside would permeate the interior of that football club. And I just hope that the, it doesn't become a make or break type situation with them. If it, look, if it makes them, fantastic. Because it'll, galv- it'll galvanise them um, to keep going with this and actually getting the points with everything. But if it turns them into... Um, you know they don't trust themselves to even play their good football. Yep. Then it's going to break them. And I know that I heard Dermot Burton saying yesterday, "No, nah, there's no, no mental scars. They'll be right. They'll be right." Yeah. 
we just don't have that faith. We can't see it for that because we're just so emotionally invested in this whole yep. thing. Yeah, no, no, very true. And uh, I, I think the players in particular will like the fact that Hardwick has said he's proud of the group. He's proud of the group despite the past three weeks. He's really the, the, the players really, will love that. Really, really proud of the group. The players will love that. I'm not. I'm no, not happy about no, that at all. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. The, the players have some kind of uh, hope and. In, in the fact that their coach also sees the potential in the the team and the list and everything, and I look, I, I see it as well, and I don't see the last three weeks as a major setback right now. But when it matters most at the end of the season, and we lost three games across three weeks by under a kick, that could potentially have an impact on us when we when it comes close to September. Well, it's twelve points on the ladder, isn't it? I mean, when you yeah. look at it, you look at it. If we kick a goal in each. One more goal in each of the last three weeks. We're top of the ladder, clear by a game. We're eight and one, mm. and that's that's the heartbreaking part of it all. And I've heard yeah. this, this, this heartbreaking seems to be the word that's gone around a fair bit. I think in the last in the last three days about this all yep. is because we see that we see what they could be doing and how unexpected it was. And um, and some people have said, oh, look, you didn't expect it at the start of the season to be anywhere near it. So you know, five and four is pretty good, and I and I accept that. Mm. But at the same time, I'm totally frustrated that we could be so much further ahead of that had we just kept some composure and um, and actually managed to to just see through some of these tough situations where we haven't clearly haven't dealt with the pressure. Um, and you know, just going to Hardwick's comment after that, he was he's proud of the of the team. That's fine for you know. I suppose he's got he he. There's certain times where you have to cuddle your players, and there's certain times where you're meant to tear shreds into them. I'd yep. have thought. And and you've got to try and sell the message then to your supporters. Now I wanted to see Damien Hardwick breathing fire after that loss. Three weeks in a row, we've dropped games from winnable positions. Him saying, oh, "I'm proud of the boys," and you know we we played the better football and all that. For me, that's accepting of mediocrity. That near enough is good enough. And I think the bar has been raised enough in the standard of football that we've shown yep. that we yep. should be doing better than that. So it's at this point now that we can bring in Tony Shebeki, the third member of Tiger Tragics, um, Tony. Good afternoon to you. It's uh, it's been an emotional last few days. What was going through your head at ten past seven last Saturday night? Is it afternoon, morning, or evening? I don't know. I've lost track of time. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, what was going through my mind? Gee whiz! I yelled at the television. Unfortunately, I was at the MCG getting ready for the uh, Collingwood Hawthorne game as ground announcer, so I was watching it on the TV there and. Uh, about three minutes after uh, the game, I had to introduce the umpires onto the ground, and it was something that I was a little bit loath to do because it was one of their uh, compatriots, I think, that might have cost us the game, but I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly. Yes. Oh, look, I was just disappointed in the fact that we allowed them to get as close as they did in the end. It was, it was the mental fatigue. I don't know what it is with the boys, but it just they just disintegrated in that last quarter, didn't they, which is... Really weird. It's just, I think they lacked this, I don't know whether it's leadership or whether it's coaching or whether it's just general play um, from the players, but they, they there seems to be these lapses in judgment and and basic skill execution. I mean, I put it down to, I know you, some people put it down to the umpires, and we will talk about that shortly. For me, the biggest loser in the game for us was Castagna and Martin missing those easy set shots in the first two minutes of the last quarter. You nail one of them. Yeah. And the momentum sucked out of any momentum GWS had coming in from that last quarter, from that last goal they scored going into the into the last quarter, which got yeah. it back to four goals. We kick one of them, and it's back out to thirty two points, and they're probably going to have to kick six to win it. And 
you know, that actually saps the belief out of GWS. But as long as we kept missing them, they would have had that belief in their head of, we can get them, we can get these guys, we know that they're gettable. Uh, you know what I think I'll put it down? I, I don't know whether there's a full buy-in to the, the game plan. I think that there might be... It seems like our structures fall apart at times, and that's something that definitely seemed to happen against Fremantle in the first three quarters. We just didn't seem to have that sort of game plan right. And, it, it, and then what would have happened in the last quarter was if they had have followed their game plan at the time, then they would have, they could have been OK. The, game, the, the last two minutes against Fremantle, the last 20 seconds against Fremantle, and you follow what you've been taught, and you're okay because you're set up with everyone in defence. You set up how you know you've got to do it. And so I'm just wondering whether there's just that little bit of a lack of belief in it. And maybe, I don't know how much the game plan has changed from last year. I think it's changed a hell of a lot, actually, from what I've seen in regards to the fact that we're a lot more offensive than what we've been in the past. I just don't know if we've got 100% buy-in into that game plan, and that may be the reason why things have been falling apart at the last minute. I think there's when, when the game plan is is humming along, you've, I mean, we can, we can see it. We see it in that first quarter on Saturday where we kick six goals and, you know, we blast out of the centre and Cochin kicks a goal within the first 10 seconds from 50. And, and, we're, and we're first at the ball and we're, our chain connection from the from defence to, to attack is is spot on. Where we, we, but but, it's the game plan when pressure's on. Yeah, when the pressure comes, yeah. uh, we, we seem to go away from it. And I wonder whether that's a leadership thing because that's where the leaders should be vocal out there going, come on, guys, set up. This is where you need to be. I don't, I don't, see, I don't see Trent Cotchin and these guys doing what Luke Hodge always used to do, which was, you know, he's, he's looking a bloke fair square in the eye and pointing in a direction saying, you go over there and you go there. I just don't see that at Cotchin. Maybe it's because he's at the fall of the ball so often. But, um, you know, Rance does it sometimes defensively. He is vice-captain, but he's, hmm. he's so often got the ball in his hands when he's actually doing that because he's read the play, taken the mark, and then he's, he's pointing to traffic going, get away, get away so I can boot it long. Um, I, I just I want to see more of that because I think that you see these lapses in games where we we put it we go you go through the last five weeks we've actually only won we've won six quarters we won one quarter against Melbourne we won one quarter against the Crows we won one crow one quarter against the Dogs we won one quarter against Frio we won two against GWS with being the first and the third so when we put it together I mean we when when it all clicks it's enough for us to get out to these massive leads and actually Correct. blow teams away. Now it's a matter of then consolidating and just reminding ourselves of of um of what needs to come. I suppose that leads us into um into the umpiring uh, decisions that uh you know I'm there's there's two two of the main ones. But Carl, I know you've got a couple there as well. Let's first of all let's talk about um let's talk about the the Shy Bolton mm. review. Yeah, Carl, what did you think? I thought it was a goal. There was a lot of discussion surrounding the decision, obviously, and it has pretty much cost us the game. But we can't, again, blame that particular decision for the result. Uh, it has something to do with it, and from my perspective, I think. But, again, we've missed plenty of opportunities of set shots at goal throughout the game that's also contributed to another loss. Mm. And, yeah, look... Well, I read an article that was posted a couple of days ago about uh, comments Eddie Maguire made in relation to the situation, and he reckons even if it is a cl- reviewed and a behind, it should just still be a goal. So I, I agree with that. I think you just got to let it be a goal for, Christ, for God's <laughs> sakes. You know, we could have won the game. We, we need to the change game. the rules <laughs> for us, please. Give us our four points. We need it. Uh, uh, well, my my thoughts on this, guys, are very simple. The video review system was brought in to stop 
howling bad decisions. The same as in cricket. So decisions that were clearly the ball went to the left side of the post instead of the right, it was behind, all that sort of stuff, or a touched on the line where the umpire was impeded in his view because players were everywhere, that sort of stuff, okay? And I'm happy with it being used in that situation. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with every goal being checked after a goal as the ball comes up to the centre. I haven't got an issue with that. My issue is, is that if an umpire cannot be uncategorically 100% certain that something happened that must change the decision, then you cannot call it. There is no way, absolutely no way, in the vision that we saw, and I don't believe that the umpire had any different vision, there is no way that you can be 100% certain that a ball touched a finger. And people say, oh, but I saw the finger bend. Well, that's fine. Move your finger from up above your head, your hand up above your head, down towards your knee, and the motion of that hand will seem as if your finger is moving. So unless you are 100% certain that someone has definitely touched it, you can see that the ball deflect off the hand and go at a 45-degree angle or something like that, I just cannot see how an umpire can overrule such a crucial decision at such a crucial part of the game. And that shouldn't matter. It, regardless of when the, the decision is in the game, if it's not 100% certain that something has occurred to change the decision, it just should not be changed, full stop. I reckon you might be in the minority there, Shebex, but only you do have one vocal supporter in Lee Matthews I did here on Sunday said he didn't think it was conclusive either that it was touched. Um, when, it, my, when I saw the replay... My heart sank because I thought, yeah, it's probably touched. But at the same time, I mean, was I a hundred percent? Was I a hundred? Was I a hundred percent? No, but I was. I was still going on. Yeah, on it was probably. It touched. was probably touched. You can't change a decision based on it was probably. People don't get given life in jail because they probably killed someone. Well, the, the <laughs> I suppose it's it's looked at a bit like when. When because this wasn't reviewed by the field umpire because no, not no. typically where the, they where they go I where they go I think the other thing. It, yeah I think it's a goal but I just want to check to make sure it wasn't touched this was conclusive all clear by the field umpire all clear by the uh, by the by the goal umpire and in someone and then the person up in the box said I oh, let's actually have a look at it and I just wonder whether um, whether that person has more because normally because if if it's inconclusive it stays with the original decision they've they've obviously felt it was conclusive enough to overturn it. I mean, um, if a ball hits a finger, if a ball hits any part of the body, you hear it. Now, there was a field umpire seven metres, I reckon, away from the actual incident. He called all clear on the goal. There was a goal umpire who had, seemed to have a fairly unimpeded view of the whole incident. He called all clear on the goal. I cannot see how those two guys who are actually on the field with the, with the, the vision that they had and also the audio that they have down on the field level could... Not could get it so wrong. I, I just can't. It's just yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's all part of the conspiracy. The AFL, <laughs> the AFL want GWS to win the flag, and this was just another way of making sure that that happens. Yeah, yeah. But I have to say, like, I don't think I've ever seen a situation quite like this one where they all set up in the centre again because it's a goal and it's all cleared for a goal. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, no, we're, we're just checking upstairs. We believe it's actually behind. Like, this, 
I don't think I've ever seen it at any other AFL game. I know that they have yeah, to check happened. it, but has it happened before? I've seen it a couple yeah. of times, but but yeah. probably not to the degree of context well, of this yeah. game being on the line with a minute Correct. 18 to go. I think this would only be a bit earlier in the they game and make, it might be a blowout. They should make a rule now that if it's under two minutes, they're not allowed to review <laughs> review goals under those circumstances. We, we could do a whole topic on this. Things the AFL should change to make sure Richmond get the four points. No, it's not even that. It's just in general. Like, <laughs> You know what the worst part about it is? What? Is that it makes the goal umpire, and it makes the field umpire, but the goal umpire even more so, look like an absolute dick in yep. this situation. Yeah. And what we're going to have is we're going to have more goal umpires now call for more reviews because they won't want to look stupid. Yep. So if there is any modicum of the possibility of saying, and, and we'll have players forcing goal umpires into making a third umpire decision based on the fact that they will rush the goal umpire and say, that was touch, that was touch, that was touch. The goal umpire is going to go, well, hang on, I'm not actually 100% sure it wasn't. All right, I'll go for, I'll just go just to make sure. So it's going to make games longer. We're going to have more reviews, all that sort of stuff. And uh, Drinkwise is going to get more advertising on our TV and on our big screens and all that sort of stuff. It's just, it's just not right. <laughs> You've got to be 100% certain. Otherwise, you should not change the decision. I, 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 yeah, I think you'll have pl- field umpires not to guess about decisions. If, they, if they're if they not 100% certain that something happened, they've been told by the umpire's directors, do not call it. That's been the case for many a year. If you're not 100% certain, do not call it. Let the play go on. We might it put, should be exactly the same. We might put that out as a Twitter poll question on our Twitter account, at Tiger Tragic. So that probably leads us into the following 30 seconds that happened after this. So there was about a 30 or 40 second stop in play while this goal was checked. Um, and all the players were in the centre. But G, but GWS knew within about 15 seconds, this is going to be overturned. Nathan Wilson gets handed the ball in the goal square. And our setup was nothing short of deplorable. We went man on man with about 16 of us in the middle and Jack Rewalt guarding space in the forward pocket. No one on the actual mark to prevent Wilson from taking uh, you know, a kick and then just bombing it long. That was what was always going to happen. Deja vu. Deja vu all over again. Kick kick goes long, and I you know I hate paying respect to GWS, but the Phil Davis punch was probably what won them that game. Yeah, uh, if if you were to single out one moment, it was spectacular. And um, the ball comes to ground, and then GWS always knew what they were going to do, which was just stream forward, and we were nowhere to be seen. Jeremy Cameron picks up the ball with after Mummy getting the little dish off, and they swept forward like the flying V in Mighty Ducks. They had five of them just streaming forward. Um, no one in between them. Why was there no one on the defensive 50 to block that space? That was always going to happen. That's why I come back to the discussion we were having about leadership and the dis- and who's talking out there in those situations. Who's telling who's who's telling the, the, the players that, look, GWS is going to bomb this long here. We need to be set up to prepare for that, just like we needed to be set up the week before with someone on the centre-half back line right there ready to protect that space. Because you know what? If the opposition gets a ball, that's where they're going. And you can put it down to coaching, you can put it down to leadership. I tend to think the onus in this instance is on the players. They should have learned from last week. Should have learned from the last Last, two weeks. Last three weeks. It's just two, three. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. What what did you think, Shabix? No, you're right. It it comes back. You're right. It comes back to the players. It comes back to the structures. It comes back to those structures failing again at the crucial time of the game. And I think this is something that Damien Hardwick and his team really need to look at over the next week or so with the players to make sure that they all have a total understanding of what happens when we're in this sort of situation. Because if they don't, 
let's go through it again. Let's make sure that it is absolutely ingrained in their mind. And we do it through training and we do it through uh, meetings and the like. But let's show it's absolutely ingrained in their mind that as soon as the situation happens, this is what must be done. This, that, this, that. It, it, it just, it's just got to be second nature. So the players, just like you take a mark 40 metres down in front of goal, you, got to you turn it. around and you kick a goal. That is second nature. It's what you do. It's what happens. Players need to respond to a defensive situation, in this case, better than what they've been doing. And it's why I hope that the players have more resilience than us supporters here, because we're sitting here... Um, you know, losing our minds over how does this happen again? How does this happen again? You just hope the players don't lose that belief that, you know what, we're actually good enough here. We just need to learn how to execute in these in these moments and actually build on that. And they don't go into their shells and, and think they're no good. And, um, you know, if they listen to us, they probably will think that. But, um, I, you know... I, I, but no one's saying they're no good. I mean, we're, we've been good enough to take it up to the team that everyone believes is going to win the premiership this year, and we've gone down to them by a couple of points in the last minute or two. What's the thing? We didn't just take it up to them. We, we, we smashed we, we, them for three quarters. Correct. We were good enough to take it up to last year's premiers in the Bulldogs and basically stick with them for, for a, a game as well. So our team hasn't been bad. These guys aren't bad players. They're just not reacting correctly in the situation where they need to be acting and be re- reacting in those defensive situations, and that just needs to be fixed. Fix that up, and who knows what could happen. I mean, we've obviously got our forward structures right. We're winning the ball. We're kicking goals. That's not a problem. It just seems to be our defensive structure that's falling down. Having said that, though, once again, Rance, absolutely spectacular. He's phenomenal, and isn't he? David Asprey. How good is he playing at the moment? He's having a fantastic season. And I actually, I think we've all got a lot more faith in David Asprey. Like, for example, this week we've, um, we're taking on Essendon. We have faith that he can run with Joe Danaher, and it means that Rance can yeah. play that that gap filler that, and just and yeah. he goes where the ball goes whenever it comes into the defensive fifty, um, which gives us confidence. I just it's mm. it's it's that next tier down. Oh, I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's mindset. It's mind. You're right. It's mindset. I want to read to you guys the other umpiring decision that was that's had a bit of talk in the last three days, and I know you've got a couple that we haven't spoken about. Carl was the uh, the Dustin Martin kick that was smothered. Mm. Uh, he was having a set shot from about fifty five out, and Jeremy Cameron was he supposedly having a set shot though. Well, actually, thought for, if you have a look at the vision of him trying to have that kick first for the for the twenty seconds before he actually went to make a move into kicking the ball, he was looking as much as he could to see if there were any options. I don't reckon he believed that he could make the distance from a set shot, so I reckon he actually nearly took off and played on. Well, the umpire, this is because we, oh, we've had a look at the vision, and the umpires didn't call play on. No, they didn't. They, they, didn't, right. they didn't call play on. Um, he's come in for the kick, and J- Jeremy Cameron has rushed in on an angle. Yeah. And yep. smothered it, and the umpires called play on. Now, the, the push from a lot of people was saying, oh, that should be 50 metres, or at the very least, it should be a reset. I tend to think, oh, you know, it's a, it's a reset, because Grig, the issue was Grig was standing next to Cameron, mm. and he shouldn't have been there either. Um, but the, I, I want to read to you, uh, the AFL umpire's boss, uh, Peter Schwab, has given comment to the Herald Sun yep. about, uh, about basically ticking off the decision. Um, and it's raised some eyebrows today. He's, this is what Schwab says. He says, the umpire should have called play on quicker, but there's a couple of things involved. One was in that part of the ground, which was the last third of the ground. The actual bloke on the mark doesn't have to go east-west. He can go off on a line of tangent. So that's saying he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to run um, directly with the line of the ground up and down. He can actually sort of come in on an angle from the side. The yeah. second part, he said, when he, when he was asked why, Schwab said, because of the way you line them up for goal, it's two-thirds east-west when you're defending, and when you come into your attack, 
attacking third and you're lined up with the middle of the goal and you can go on that arc. And what all what also said was the player had half a metre from the mark. Um, he and he, Cameron, started behind. Now, I'm starting to, I'm starting to black out while it's halfway talking through that because it doesn't make much sense. Um in a general sense, do you think that that was the right decision? Do you think we should have it should have been a fifty? Do you think it should have been reset? I tend to think that it should have been reset. So from that first comment, from the first line of that, where you said the umpire should have called play on earlier than what he did, yeah, does that mean the umpire actually believed it was play on, but he just didn't get the opportunity to call it? Hence the reason why he let it happen. Perhaps, but that uh, but if the umpire hasn't called play on, then Jeremy Cameron shouldn't be allowed to come in. Yeah, because I haven't I haven't got an issue with the umpire calling it play on because I thought it was. Yeah. And I tend to think but, that. If, if it was yeah. play on, then he's got every right to be there. But yeah. the umpire he tried, hadn't. He tried to make up some ground to try and shorten the distance for himself. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It was a missed. It was another missed opportunity we put down in the last quarter that, yeah. um, you know, we just need to hope and learn from. I want to talk, um, Carl, you, did you have a couple other umpiring issues with the last quarter? Well, one in particular that I observed, again, going back to something we really hate looking at in particular, the deliberate out-of-bounds decisions. We well, had one go our way in the last couple of minutes, though. Yeah, well, there was one that was six minutes left in the third quarter. Prestia went to handball it. I don't know if you guys saw this one, but he handballed it and then it eventually bounced over over the line. But there were Richmond players within the vicinity of the handball. Oh, yes, it was on the far side of the yeah. ground, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it went out of bounds. And, of course, they paid it deliberate. Like, again, where's the consistency with the deliberate out of bounds rule? Can't the AFL come out during the season and just say, right, this, this rule needs to go? Like... They they really should take some action on this now. I think this is we'll this is actually a joke. The crowd, the crowd reaction on this one again, guys. I reckon this was one where the umpires were over overawed by the crowd reaction. There was, but there was no crowd reaction. There was no, they, they, those GWS there was supporters. No well, right. where, where yeah. were, there was a lot more orange seats than actual spectators. They, were, they had no noise until the last ten minutes of that last quarter. That was the that was the brilliant thing was we'd silenced them from the get go. I know there wasn't many there to make silence anyway, about ten thousand. But and it's still a working progress for them. But we'd silenced them until that last five minutes, and then suddenly the noise of affirmation comes in. Um, you mentioned Dion Prestia. Yeah. Do you think he's earning his money at the moment? It's uh, a good question, to be honest. Based on the season so far, yeah. I just I don't know if his body of work is uh, so far is worth the price well, tag on him. But we know he's playing injured to some degree. I think now, Carl, you've got a, an update on this. Well, I'll say this before I do go into my update on Prestia. Right, I think he's earning his money more than Deledio is at GWS. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> well, but still, he's still earning his money. Like he's actually how, how many games has Prestia played for Richmond? Was I oh, missed two. So, so he's yes. played. So he's played six. So he's played seven. He's played seven. Okay. So he's played seven games. Toledo hasn't played a game. I, I think at the end of the day, that's that's worked out in it to our advantage. Toledo leaves the club, goes to GWS, is injured. We have Prestia, and Prestia's played six out of, well, seven out of nine games, which is good. Seven out of nine, and I reckon t- and two or three of those he he was sore niggle, going he into had them. a niggle, yeah. Um, and, and, clear, and on the weekend, he had 20. He handballed more than he kicked. Um, I don't know. I just never. I, I was, I'm waiting for a big Dion Prestia moment where I go, all right, he announces himself as a Richmond player and takes a game by the scruff of the neck. It hasn't happened mm-hmm. yet. No, it hasn't, but it will. It will. He's a, he's a good enough player for that to happen shortly. Yeah. And I think it's, it, there's not. I'd love to see stats on it, but I, I don't think there's too many players, apart from a Patrick Dangerfield or maybe a Chris Judd or something like that, you know, champion players who have gone to a new club and hit the, the, the ground running from day one. There's a lot of things that need to be learned. 
a lot of trust that needs to be earned. You have to learn game styles. And... Exactly. So that'll, that'll happen and that'll take time. And Once that happens, that'll just click. And when it does click, I think he's going to be a great player for Richmond. But the fact that he's still getting a bit of the ball now and stuff, I think, you know, he, you're sure you're right. He probably hasn't earned his paycheck just yet, but I don't think that's too far away. Now, Carl, you, saw, you, had, a, you had a look at Richmond training this morning on your way here. Yeah, you know, I just made a little observation. The main group were training on the actual oval, and just to the side near the school board, I'd noticed a couple of injured players in Vloston and Hampson. And to me, I could be wrong here. I wasn't real close to Punt Road. Obviously, I was just a spectator from the train platform. But to me, it looked like Prestia was on the sideline with Vloston and also Hampson uh, training on the side there. So I'm not sure whether or not he, he may miss this week, potentially. He may, he may be on a modified program mm. because of the fact that he's carrying a bit of a niggle. Yeah. And well, he might not be training as hard through that the week too. as what... I mean, they, I think the, the basis would be try and get him up to the bye which is what, in two weeks' time? Yeah, yeah, and then give him a good yeah. rest. And then give him a good rest after that. That would probably be the basis that they're working on at the moment. Just yeah. getting him through week by week. Well, at least this week, we do have a slight advantage, in the, and we'll, we'll get to the Essendon game shortly, in that we do, um, we've got a, we're coming off a seven-day break, and they're coming off a six, so we've got that extra day in, uh, in uh, up our sleeves there. Shy Bolton debuted, had a couple of good moments, I thought. One was taken off him, which we've spoken about. Mm. The... Um, what did you think in general? I loved that there was one. He laid a tackle on Phil Davis late in the third quarter, with just absolute gusto and floored him. Which I thought, wow, this kid's got something there. But other other than that, didn't see too much of him throughout the day. What did you think, guys? Oh, it was nice to see the number twenty nine prominent in front of gold again. Yep, very true. I hadn't seen that since nineteen eighty. <laughs> He is twenty nine, isn't he? Yeah, he, yeah, is. he, he is. He is. Yeah. He is. He is. Just, we've, we've, we've forgotten about our long, our old friend Ty Vickery. Who? <laughs> exactly right. That's what I mean. It was nice to see a number twenty nine prominent in front of goal again. Well, he um... as, a, as a small man. Let me clarify that. Oh, as okay. A small yeah. man in the number twenty five in front of goal again, reminiscent of KB, and and so that opportunist goal that he kicked at the end, and I still call it an opportunist goal because in my mind it was uh, was very reminiscent of KB. Yeah, look. He, he's a work in progress. Any young kid that comes in for his debut is a work in progress. And if we can get a half a dozen games in this year, he's going to be so much better for it. I liked that he made the most of his opportunities when yes. they came. That when you know the opportunity was there, where I've got to lay a big tackle on Phil Davis. Bang! He did it, and he did it with a plum. And he did it the same with that kicking that goal that was then sadly taken off us. And that just. The poor kid. We love romance in football. First game, debutante. He's done the hard work. He's snapped a goal, a mercurial goal out of nowhere to win the game for his football club. 29 wins a game of football for Richmond. And it's ripped away from him. The poor, poor bloke. I'm sure in that, in that 30 seconds, he's probably feeling it just as hard as everyone else because he thought, I've got the match winner here. I've got it. I've got it. We we were missing a couple. We were missing um we missed we missed Caddy was a late withdrawal. Yep. And he had that toughness around around the ball and he you know it would have been handy for a couple of goals. And we missed Dan Butler as well, who was out with a groin complaint. Mm. And from what I hear, he should be right to come back in this week. I think it was just a one weeker. But like he could have added a couple of goals as well. And the pace um that he adds, I, I didn't think Shy Bolton uh was off that pace. I think he he sort of complimented what the role that Butler had been playing, probably not quite the polish or the as much ball, but um, you know, I, th- I think there's plenty of these small forwards now we've got to go through there. Uh, we just need to get game time into them now and see where they go. They'll get it. And, and that's a good thing about where the club's at at the moment. We're not afraid to play uh, some young kids when the, you know, when the opportunity arises. So I think that's a good thing. I think we've learned from past mistakes of bringing older blokes back in 
for you know just one or two weeks, so you're better off just bringing a young kid yeah. and but, giving him a little bit of a taste, a little bit of feel of what it's about. And the Tigers seem to be doing that this year, which is good. Just looking through, uh, you know, the, the list, the, the, the teams like now that the Taylor Hunts of the list, they they're, like, they're not getting another game. We've had we've gone to the well with a couple of them, but the, the Taylor Hunt, I think, might have a line through him. Unfortunately for Taylor, you know, he's he for a, I think he was a rookie pickup, having been delisted by Geelong. Uh, we got the most out of him, but I think I think he's done. Um, which then brings me back to I wanted to ask uh, Carl about your mate Sam Lloyd. Mm. He came back in. We you called for it last. You called for it the last three weeks. Yeah. He came in. Did you did he? Do you think he did enough to hold his spot? Should Butler be fit? I think so. Yeah. I I, I still think he he stays in the best twenty two. And I, I might show a little bit of bias because I think he's a, a great senior player and he, he makes a good contribution to the best twenty two. Was it his best game? No. But he still made a contribution where we needed one, and it counted. Like there was a goal he kicked. I can't remember when it was, but when he kicked it, I might. That's exactly what we need. This is something that we've needed the past few weeks, where it's kind of sparked us a little bit and allowed us to kick a few goals following that a goal that he's kicked. So read it how you will. I think he he still deserves a spot next week, but Richmond will make that decision and. Yeah, I, I hope he does stay in the best twenty. So if um if so if if Butler is fit, yep. and if Caddy's fit, yep. Um, because Miles came in late for late for uh, for Caddy, yep. Who goes out, both gentlemen? If uh, if if Butler and Caddy are coming in, there's two people left to make way. Who goes out? No, I think Shay goes out. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, and and look, I haven't got an issue with young kids getting a game just to fill in the void and then going back. No problems with that. But I think it's more important with guys like Lloyd who are senior players at the club, I think they need two or three weeks to get back into it, into the swing of things, instead of just being given one week and then dumped back. So I think I agree with you, Carl. I think Lloyd's safe up until the bye anyway. Yeah, He'll be given that opportunity to show his wear in the next couple of weeks. So I think, uh, yeah, the 29 goes. I'm not sure who the other one is. Mm, yeah, it's a tough one. I think that you, you leave Lloyd in uh, and you also leave... Miles in as well because I don't think Presti is gonna gonna play Dreamtime this week. About Big Ivan, he stays. Um, I reckon he stays. I liked. I was yeah. just. I was literally okay. just about to bring that up. I actually liked having Soldo and Nankervis in there because yep. it allowed Nankervis to go forward or back and pl- and drop into those holes when he went on and the ball. You, and he's a bit. He's a. He's yep. he's so, got mm, good hands. He's yeah. a, and it, and that's the the issue has been all year. That with um without without uh, Griffiths being there, we've genuinely lacked a like a genuinely experienced big body up forward to help Jack out, and you know they they can rotate through there, um because Elton Elton we, we've we've done with Elton we put a line through him I think just for for the time but he did kick three in the VFL on the weekend my Who? man Todd Elton Who? my man oh okay <laughs> my man but um but I think that I, th- I think that sort of versatility of maybe rolling Nan Curvis and Soldo through that center half forward spot to give Jack a chop out and then you put you know Lloyd's a bit of a bigger body and Dustin Martin goes forward as well they, I think that that might be a, a decent setup to pursue for the time being I know the club hasn't said anything about Griffiths, but are we resigned to the fact that Griffiths may, may not play again this year? I think, yeah, I think his his short, medium, and long term future in the game is in some 
reasonable doubt at the moment. Which I would is a think. real shame. Mm-hmm. It's a real shame because when he's when he's fired up, when yep. he's when he's when he's had a, a you know he's had these games like last year against Sydney where he kicked four or five and he's really taken the game by the scruff of the neck. He could be anything. He could be he could be a Joe Danaher. Um, that's probably overstating yeah, it a little bit. But he but when he at his best, he's he's shown everything that that those sort of guys have. Have unfortunately, it was that consistency week to week, and then you put on the injuries and the concussion issues that he's had on top of it, and he just can't get back to that at the moment. It's just really frustrating, and um, I'm sure no one's probably more frustrated than him at the moment because, yeah. like any young player, he just wants to be out there. Very true. Very true. Um, just on Sam Lloyd. I was just going to say one point on Sam Lloyd. I I, I, I liked what I saw for the most part, but I thought we did see the best and worst of Sam Lloyd in the space of of one game. And that he, you know, he kicked a, kicked a goal. He um, he took a hanger in the centre that and set up this really cr- uh, awesome chain of play that unfortunately didn't end up in a goal. But I think that was when Shy Bolton ended up coming and laying that tackle on Davis, where he's taken the hanger and handballed off. But we did see the worst of him in that, you know, there's two and a half, three minutes left in the game, and it's three points the difference or what have you, and. Um, and he's in the pocket with about ten guys on him, and he just throws one on the boot for the for the hail mary rather than trying to do the team thing of looking around for, to try and spot someone up for a set shot. That's I suppose that's what you get with Sam Lloyd. He's he he is that sort of player where he just he's going to try and do things that they're going to come off sometimes, and they're not going to come off other times. Mm. Um, you know, it's it was again one of many missed opportunities in that last quarter. <laughs> um, this week, Shebex, your thoughts. Essendon dream time at the G. I'm just going to go back to the first five rounds for me, and I'm going to say that we're buggered. We can't win. We're going to lose by 10 <laughs> goals. I took every game in the oh. first five weeks with that attitude, and we got up and won everyone. So I'm just going to go back to that. No, not really. You had me. You had me. You had me sitting there going, "Oh, for a second, Shabex." I think though that Essendon are a pretty good team. I, I think oh, yeah. being a, a good side of Essendon in the last couple of weeks, they destroyed West Coast Eagles. On the weekend, and we're going to have to be on our game. We're going to have to make sure that we go out there 100% committed to the ball, 100% committed to our structures, our team plan, our game plan, and all that sort of stuff. If we're going to beat Essendon, if we don't, then they will do a number of us. I have no doubt about that. Essendon has shown that when they bring that real pressure, they they make a habit of making teams go to water. Um, when they don't, when teams get up, get the upper hand of pressure on them, they they go to water. So. I yeah I this is a I don't think this will be a close one either. I've got this feeling that we're either going to pants them or they're going to pants us. I think that, yeah. Right. I'm I'm really interested to see how how we respond from what's happened last week. We're, particularly well, the last two weeks really, where we, we've we have been the laughing stock of the competition. Opposition fans are pointing and laughing at us right now, saying ha ha ha, Richmond. You know you I mean, can't I win games of football. I don't get that, Mitch. I, I actually feel that people are feeling generally not laughing at us, but they're actually feeling sorry for us. Oh, I, I don't know. I've been in here. I've been in here taking phone calls every day and looking oh, at. Yeah, but Essendon's a cruel. Essendon's a cruel oh, it's, place. It's no good for your mental <laughs> health if you're a supporter of a team that's in the new Shebex. I can let you know that. Yeah. Um. I I hope that the, that this galvanizes us with the galvanizes us with the resolve to go on and really make something of it. I think you, yep. you, you want to learn from it and build from it. And if it means that, you know what, we've dropped a couple of games where we didn't get the points and that's the worst part of it. We didn't get the points. It's not actually any sort of mental demons. And we actually build on it and go, you know what, we, this is, we identify where we where we need to work on so that this doesn't happen again and go out there and do it. What better way to do it than on the big stage against not with 90,000 people there, dream time at the G yeah. um, with, you know, prime time slot. It can work against us though if we go to water. So, but you know what the nice thing I like about it also is we do come back to the MCG and we do come back to our home game 
that's going to be all black and yellow. It's going to be all our colours yep. going through there. If it had been the Nesson and home game, you know, mm. that, that, that flavours off you and you don't feel like you're, you're in your home turf. This is going to be our game. This is an opportunity for them to shine and, and, and just show everyone exactly where they're at. Do we play, do you think Asprey goes to Danaher and we play Rance loose or do we, do we just put Rance, shut down Danaher and, and the rest will take care of itself? Yeah, I'd be rotating through him. Uh, I think Asprey will have a run. I think Rance will have a run. I, I, we don't see it that often now that one player stays on one player all the way through. I think it's just an opportunity for players to get freshened up and, and you know have someone else get a, a chance at doing the number as well. So I think we'll see a couple of players rotate through and being Rance and Asprey. But I think overall, I think Asprey will probably be the primary starter and may get the majority of time on him uh, unless things go pretty bad. Carl, your thoughts? I think we've got to shut down Tip on Woody. To be honest, I, I, good yeah, I, I think he's he's gonna he's proved he's like now one of the key players for Essendon, and he had another standout game last weekend. So, I think if we can shut him down, uh, maybe even have somebody tag Fantasia as well, because Fantasia can come out of nowhere and kick a couple of goals. Then, yeah, we go. We certainly go in with a, a good chance, and if Lloyd plays, he's back at his domain, the MCG. So. If if he can kick a few goals at the G in, uh, on Dreamtime, I think we we're going with a good chance. I'm not going to get my hopes up based off the last four weeks, but uh, I, I think yeah, it, it could really go either way this game. It's going to be an interesting, I think, to see. You've got uh, you know two of the best informed backmen in Rance and uh, and Hurley at the other end going yeah. going head to head against each other. Um, in that sense, that they're at opposite ends of the ground, and you'll have Hurley and um, Hurley, I suppose, rotating onto Jack at times. Yep. Um, and I reckon with Jack, Jack's Jack Jack's played well all season. I think, for, given he's been the one out up forward for the most part, his best game was on the big stage against Melbourne prime time Anzac Eve. I think he might be ready for another one. Mm. I think he might Fingers be ready to, to try and you know kick another bag of six and. He he bleeds yellow and black, Jack. He's bloody proud of his football club. If you when you're listening to this, by the time you're listening to this, there'll be an interview with him from the run home up on scn.com.au. Check that out as well because I'm sure he'll be talking about how proud he is of his football club and how you know they need to turn it around and no one's going to be wanting to turn it more around than him and he'll be wanting to do it out there for the big stage. Um, Spot on. So t- so tips, gentlemen. Uh, Essendon by ten. Ten goals or ten points? Yeah, ten goals. Ten goals. Oh, okay. But well, I'm only going with that reverse psychology yeah. factor. Yeah, well, that's what we've got to do. I love the fact that psychology comes into the Richmond psyche uh, of how to actually get by as a supporter from week to week. We have to think. We have to actually rethink the way we think about our football club. Correct. Um, I'm tipping Richmond by five goals. Carl? Don't do that. I'm tipping Essendon by 42. Forty-two points, not goals. Now we 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 have been accused of cursing the Richmond Football Club since we started this podcast. So I'm not going to you know reverse psychology. The new tack mix. Not going to not address. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to address one really quick thing, um, and uh, we'll, we'll, let's just spend a minute on it. Uh, reports in the newspaper today: North Melbourne ready armed, one million dollars plus five or six years for Dustin Martin. They they're going to go after him and Josh Kelly. Uh, any fear of North Melbourne poaching out, Dusty? Go your hardest. Yep. I tend to think the no, same. Good luck. I tend to agree with KB. KB said today that uh, it's going to take $2 million plus to probably lure Dusty out because what's the difference between 1.1 and 1.3 if you don't have to move? And he likes, he, likes, he likes Richmond. 
And I don't think we exactly. I don't think we get any indication from Dustin that he's upset at Richmond, that he's uh, you know, that he hasn't got mates there and all that sort of stuff. I think once you look at that, that comes into the, that, that'll come into the play. And the fact that he can see, and hopefully we can show him that we are actually a team that's going to, you know, possibly, maybe, hopefully, be in the grand final in the next three or four years. I think that's where uh, that'll be the thing that holds him in the end. If he can't feel that or see that. Then I think we'll lose him for sure. Nothing we'll do will keep him. I agree. We just but, need to keep showing yeah. the good signs. If we start, yep. if we go to water, then maybe you know we need to strap ourselves in. But as long as we keep playing good football that looks like we could play finals, I think we they should be okay. A, they will sell a hell of a lot of newspapers over the next twelve weeks, coming up with stories about who might want Dustin Martin. No doubt, Carl. Your thoughts? But at the end of the day, no one knows until it actually until they sit down at the table and say, "Right, yeah, where are we at?" True. Yeah, exactly. And I saw a, an interesting article today. A bit of a comedic article if you will uh, basically saying that Dustin hates the media spotlight and he feels like he can uh, remain sort of quiet about things if he goes to North Melbourne uh, because they're basically a side that doesn't get acknowledged by the AFL if he, if he went to North Melbourne then there wouldn't be any media attention on him in the spotlight because no one cares about North Melbourne so it was a bit of a joke I, I had a good laugh at that in particular it, it won't happen he'll, he'll, he'll remain a Tiger and we'll see it's signed Sooner than later, I reckon. Well, lucky no North Melbourne supporters listen to this podcast, I would think. Oh, exactly, anyway, yeah. just for the moment. <laughs> um, th- thank you very much, gentlemen. One, one last word I just wanted to say was Ty Vickery's haircut. He, it, t- it took him eight years to finally shave his head at, at, uh, at Hawthorne after having spent eight right. years with he, pl- he played all right in the first half, but then they went, they went to water. What did you, he just looked like a completely different player. <laughs> He did actually. I didn't. Re- you're right. I didn't recognise him when he was first going for the ball. And he's, oh. he's playing all right as well. Uh, Charlie's more than a good haircut. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, thank you, gentlemen. This has been the edition four of Tiger Tragics. Let's hope the Tigers get up with a win. And uh, I think to leave to leave you all today, we'll uh, we'll send you out with Mario from Doncaster's phone call to the run home yesterday, which uh, probably speaks for volumes of Richmond supporters everywhere. It has gone viral. Uh, take it for what it is. It's a, it's a bit of a laugh. We, we we've got to just pick our spirits up. Let's let's get to the MCG on Saturday. Let's support our club. Let's get them over the line. Go you bloody tigers! Come on, Mario is in Doncaster. Hello, Mario. Guys, I don't want any damn hugs. Now, second, firstly, I presume you've seen that Mel Gibson movie Apocalypse, though, with those little guys running through the jungle being pursued by the Aztec warriors. Yes, yes, I have. Now, yeah. I want to build a new structure. At Hunt Road next to David Mandy Pool. I want a 10-story Aztec pyramid there. And on the top, I want to station the priests and the priestesses of death with their stone knives. And I'm talking Penny Wenny and Benny Gale and Dimmer. And I want us all our stupid Richmond supporters to climb up the stairs and lie on the altar and face the sky and have your hearts ripped out by those priests of death. And tumble our hearts down the stairways. They're doing it already. They might as well formalise the practice. Richmond is a cult of death. The cult of death. If you'd like to respond to Mario's culture of death theory, 9429-1116. It doesn't disappoint, Mario. He's fantastic. Uh, take him in the right spirit. He does not disappoint. Like the tiger of old, the strong and revolt, the tiger.